Welcome to the Homeschool Loftcast, a podcast presented by the Homeschool Loft in De Pere, Wisconsin. Our goal at the Loft is to encourage parents who educate their children at home and let them know that they are both called to and empowered for the task of home-based education. At the Loft itself, we offer one-on-one consultations, book clubs and discussion groups, workshops and seminars, and a curriculum viewing library. Through the Loftcast, we extend our reach to encourage and bless homeschooling parents everywhere. And today we are so pleased to welcome a well-known homeschool advocate, Israel Wayne, to our show. Israel's a homeschool graduate himself, and he's the father of 11 children who is passionate about defending the Christian faith and helping people to develop a biblical worldview. He's the director of Family Renewal, which we'll link in our notes, and the author of several books, including Answers for Homeschooling, Top 25 Questions Critics Ask, and another one, Education, Does God Have an Opinion?, And yet another one, among several others, Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. Um, We will, as I said, link those. Uh, We will link to Family Renewal on the episode notes. And with that, I just want to welcome you, Israel. Well, thank you. It's great to be here with you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome, Israel. Well, there's so much to talk about. But let's start from the beginning by having you tell us your own homeschool story, which I hear is quite interesting (laughs) about your life having been homeschooled as a child and teen by a single mom in the face of regular opposition. It's quite a tale. Well, my homeschool journey is a little unique. My family began homeschooling before homeschooling was invented. Uh, (laughs) The modern day Christian homeschooling movement started in 1983. Mm-hmm. Our family began in 1978. My older sister, Sony, was five years old. She had been put into government kindergarten, as all parents did at that time. Mm-hmm. And she just didn't adapt well. She didn't enjoy it. She came home every day uh, a little bit more depressed. Mm-hmm. She complained that her stomach hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was concerned about what was causing this change in attitude and behavior in my sister. Um, but then one day she got a phone call from one of the teachers in the school who told her that they thought my sister had a learning disability and would be unable to learn. Ah, five years old. Wow. Yeah. Well, the the ironic thing about that was they tested my sister when she entered kindergarten. And when she entered kindergarten, she was reading at a fifth grade level Mm. because my mother had been homeschooling her as a preschooler. (laughs) And so my mother knew that she was intelligent. She knew that she didn't have a learning disability, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she asked the teacher what it was that made her think that she had a learning disability. And she said, well, she doesn't seem to exhibit the same social skills. as." The oh, my children. goodness. <laughs> and my mother said, well, what, what social skills are you referring to? And she said, well, we have this time during the class that we call free play. And it's where the children are allowed to just get up and run around and be crazy and do whatever it is that they want to <laughs> mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And your daughter just sits there mm. at the desk and she doesn't get up and join the other children in free play. We think this is abnormal and we think there's something <laughs> wrong with her. <laughs> So my mother, uh, you know, wasn't sure how to handle that. But one day we were out uh, doing some grocery shopping and my mom said, hey, let's stop in and see your sister at the school. So we walk Mm -hmm. into the classroom. I was three years old at the time. (laughs) And um, 
all the children are apparently engaging in one of these free play times. Mm-hmm. But the teacher actually had her back to the class, uh, her feet up on a desk, and she was watching television. Oh, my goodness. And, and would occasionally just kind of like holler over her shoulder wow. at the children to, to shut up or to be quiet or whatever and <laughs> cuss at them every once in a while. And, yeah. and my mom just said, that's it. I'm not doing this. Done. And, Done. and wow. so... The thing that we didn't know in 1978 was that there was no legal option for homeschooling, that there were compulsory attendance laws that said if you did not attend a traditional school, then you were truant Mm. uh, and a violation of compulsory attendance laws. So the first thing that happened was the school bus would stop in front of our house every day, blow the horn, and the school bus driver would come and and sometimes even knock on the door and yell. And he he was always, I always thought he was a very angry man. I don't know if the fact that I was making faces at him and sticking my tongue out at him had anything to do with yeah. that or not, but not at all. Yeah, probably not. But nope. at any rate, uh, so that happened for weeks. And then my mom got a letter from the school board announcing that if she did not put my sister back into school, um, she would be taken to court. Oh, ah. goodness. Of course, that was an ominous thing. And so my mom uh, started crying when she saw the letter and she was distraught. And my sister, again, who's five, came up and said, Mommy, what's wrong? And she said, well, the school's trying to make you go back to Mm. school. And they sent this letter. And my sister asked, may I read the letter? So my mom (laughs) gave it to her and let her read it. And um, then when she gave it back a little while later, my mom was very distraught because my sister had written on the page and, you know, my mom thought, well, this is a important legal document. I hope right. it doesn't get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the exercises that my mom did with her as a preschooler was she would uh, give my sister articles, sometimes from the newspaper or different places. And she would have her look for typos. <laughs> um, I should just insert here that that today my sister is a professional editor, <laughs> <laughs> and it started in preschool. Of course, she it is. started in preschool, right? So anyway, she would she would circle the words that were misspelled or bad grammar, and she would write the correct spelling or punctuation up above. And she had done this with this letter from the school board. So <laughs> long story hysterical. short, we, we ended up in court. And one of the first things that happened was the judge asked my mother, do you have a letter from the court uh, that that, you know, informed you that you needed to put your daughter into school? And she said, yes. And the judge said, may I see that letter? (laughs) (laughs) So my mom takes this letter very sheepishly up Uh to the bench and hands it to the judge. And and the judge is very confused, of course, and (laughs) says, what's with, with the writing on the letter? And my mother said, well, I'm very sorry about that, Your Honor. My my daughter did that. <laughs> he said, your daughter did this? He said, how old is your daughter? And she said, she's five. <laughs> and so for the longest time, he just sat there studying this letter. And he looked at the letter. He, he looked at my mom. <laughs> he looked over at the school board and their lawyers. Looked at the letter, looked at my mom. And then after the longest time, he said, well, it, it occurs to me that one of the biggest problems we have in education today is a lack of parental involvement. And he said, here, I see a mom who, cause my mom explained the situation and yeah. she had taught her daughter to do that, but she hadn't given her permission to you know, do that, do it on that letter. <laughs> yeah. but, but anyway, uh, he said, but here's a mom who is actively engaged and involved in his, in her daughter's education. And he said, I actually think this is commendable. And he said, mm. 
you know, just this letter is actually a testament to some of the deficiencies that we have within our public <sighs> so education system. Good. And he said, um, hey, as far as I'm concerned, he said, I wish we had more parents like this. Mm. And so he turned to my mom and said, as far as I'm concerned, you can keep teaching your daughter. Wow, <laughs> that is the best story ever. Ooh. So the, he dismissed the case. He threw yeah. it out, but he didn't rule on it. Uh, so what was interesting was there was no precedent set mm, with it. And so okay. there was no legalization of homeschooling. He just dismissed the case on merits. Mm. I think partly thinking as well that she's five. Yeah. You know, let, let's just give her some space. And yeah. the, the thing was, my mom never put her back in and she didn't put <laughs> me in. And so, you know, when I became compulsory attendance age, I was taught at home. We, we yeah. did end up having two years where we were caught uh, homeschooling when I was in second grade and again in sixth grade. And uh, the judge basically in both cases gave my mom an ultimatum and said, you can either put your children in public school or you can have your children removed from your custody, mm. uh, put into a foster home uh, where your parental rights will be terminated and you'll never see your kids again. Uh, oh and by the way, they'll be put into public school. Oh uh, my you gosh. Know, or, or, and you'll go to jail for contempt yeah. of court. Uh, wow. you know, or, or, you know, just put them in school, you know, one of the two. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and so what, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom said in both cases, I'm going to choose option C. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put them in a private Christian school. Mm. And so in both of those grades, I was put, my sister and I were put into a private Christian school and uh, ended up um, after the school year ended, my mom just started homeschooling us again. <laughs> Uh, just didn't re-enroll us. And so we were under the, under the radar again. So I graduated in 91 homeschooling did not become legal in the state in which we lived until 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, but by the time I was 15, my mom was a single parent, um, had six children at that time. Mm -hmm. And so my whole homeschooling experience was being homeschooled against the law uh, when it was not only not popular, but I mean, when uh, we started, there was no, there were no homeschool re resources, wow. uh, curric no curriculum publishers that would sell to us, no homeschool legal defense association. Mm -hmm. we, we were out ahead of it. And then in 1988, I'll try to make this short, but 1988, yeah. no, my mom good. started a, a national homeschool magazine called homeschool digest, yeah. which became the nation's longest running Christian homeschool magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was an author and conference speaker back in the eighties at, at homeschool conferences. And oh. when I graduated in 91, a lot of people wanted to hear from homeschool graduates. And so yeah. <laughs> I started speaking um, at some of the conferences where my mom was like a keynote speaker. Oh, yeah. I got asked yeah. to be on a teen panel or to lead the teen track or to do a workshop or something like that. And then before long, uh, by like 1995, I was actually keynoting homeschool conferences myself. So wow. uh, I and, and I started uh, marketing director as marketing director for Homeschool Digest in 19, January of 1993 mm -hmm. and wrote my first homeschool book in 2000. So I grew up around this, not just in the homeschool movement, but the homeschool leadership side of things. And yeah, it's, it's been a crazy ride. Yeah. yeah, to say the least. Wow. Wow. What about uh, your wife's experience? Was did she have a similar kind of story? Because I know she was homeschooled as well. Correct. Yes. She grew up in Arizona. Her mom started homeschooling in 1983. Her mother, like many other parents of that era, started homeschooling when she heard Dr. Raymond Moore on Focus on the Family yes. in 1983. And uh, her and her family became very close to uh, the Moore family, actually. Mm -hmm. And they became kind of mentors of 
my wife's mother uh, regarding homeschooling. And so her mom was one of the founders of the Arizona State Homeschool Association and started a a local homeschool support group in the Scottsdale, Arizona area, Mm -hmm. but I think grew eventually to like 250 families or something like that, Mm -hmm. really large homeschool group. Um, And then at the age of 15, my wife started publishing a girls magazine. Hmm. That became a national periodical for mostly young homeschooled ladies uh, in their their teens. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's actually how we met was through our publishing businesses. And uh, we got married in January of 99. So we've been married about 23 years now. And uh, as you said, we have 11 children and all of our children have been homeschooled from birth. And uh, our oldest is now 21. Our youngest is about seven months. And um, we have (laughs) six girls, six girls and five boys who have always been homeschooled. Uh, That's amazing. And every mom's dream that you married a homeschooler. We'd love to. Write yeah, it. there were there were a couple a couple of us homeschoolers done good back in the yeah. day. But, uh, <laughs> sure. It was it was awkward at homeschool conventions because I had this this long line of homeschool moms pinching my cheek and oh yeah, to I'm their daughters sure. how cute I was. <laughs> oh, well, but here's a crazy thing: you said on your website, it says on your website that you guys got married without ever having dated. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, <laughs> we have a story. We have a story um, that's an audio book that people can download from our website called What God Has Joined Together. And it's about 45 minutes for the audio book. So I won't have time to tell it here. But uh, basically, we were engaged, I think, 10 days after we met. <laughs> wow. So it's a pretty crazy story. There's a lot more to it than that. But yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty crazy. And that story of how we met and got married actually was featured in a lot of national media. Um, wow. They had a, a reporter for the Arizona Republic, which is owned by Dan Quayle's parents, hmm. um, came to our wedding and we didn't know it. And we went to our honeymoon and came back and we were on the front page of the lifestyle section <laughs> of the Arizona Republic oh newspaper. Wow. And then uh, the New American did a story on it. Uh, wow. Breitbart, I think Breitbart did a story on it later, you know, much later. Yeah. Uh, Wall Street Journal did a story on it. So and, and it was published in like newspapers in India and Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> Homeschoolers, are you listening to this? <laughs> it was pretty crazy. In this fact, is we big even stuff. Had, we even had a, a video conference one time where uh, a producer at the Oprah Winfrey Network Get contacted out. us. And, and they, they said, we're not going to air this because we don't have a place to put it (laughs) in our programming, but we heard your story. One of this reporter had, had flown all the way from, from Hollywood to Indianapolis to hear me speak and had heard our story. And, um, and so she piped this in on a live uh, you know, like a Zoom meeting uh-huh. uh, for the entire executive team of the Oprah Winfrey network, just so <laughs> they could hear the story, uh, which is pretty crazy. I so. mean, homeschoolers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Influencing and we Oprah and everything. Wow. We weren't trying. We weren't trying to be radical. You know, we were just trying to. You guys were us. just shining and, bright is what you were. God had his light. Boom. Right on I you. Think, I think really, you know, in, in a lot of ways, if you just try to do things God's way and follow God. It makes you revolutionary and countercultural, even though you're not trying to. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. is so true. Yeah. Yeah. And your parents raised you both to be independent thinkers. So, right. Right. Absolutely. Yes. 
And now you have 11 children, all of whom you homeschool. Was homeschooling an easy choice for Brooke and you? Or did you Absolutely. Did you ever consider other <laughs> options? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were convinced before we ever met each other, you know, that we weren't going to marry someone unless that person was committed to home education. I mean, uh. that was a that would have been a deal buster for us. <laughs> Both of us would have just walked if the other one said, you know, well, no, I really think public school is a good option. Oh, been gosh, like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's not the one for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, uh, and it really wasn't hard for us, I don't think, um, adapting to homeschooling either because it was all we knew. Yeah. You know, for us, homeschooling is as natural as eating and breathing. Yeah. So it wasn't some weird thing we had to learn. I think for people who grew up with a government school paradigm, mm-hmm. homeschooling feels very unnatural. It feels very yeah. novel, exactly. and new and experimental. But in the scope of human history, homeschooling is what families have always done since the very beginning of creation. Yeah. And it's only been the last 170 years that this new experiment of government education has been uh, in the Western culture. And so, so it really is the new kid on the block. It's the radical experimental model. And so, yeah, it's been a natural conclusion for us to homeschool our children. Yeah. Um, So like, it's funny because you said, you know, you got to be a speaker when you were a teen because people wanted to hear from homeschool graduates and they still want to hear how homeschool graduates are doing. So can you tell us about your, your oldest kids? You know, what are they up to now that they've actually succeeded in graduating from your homeschool? Sure. Um, our, Our oldest son who is 21 has been working the last few years as Um, I think the official term is scrub tech, but he basically is an assistant to an eye surgeon. So when you go in for eye surgery, he makes sure all of the equipment is sterilized and so Mm -hmm. forth. And um, he was able to get credentialing through his work, which is great because he gets paid, he gets experience and his experience and the classes that they give him that they pay for, Mm -hmm. um, you know, help him to get credentialing for his job to kind of move up the ladder and, and get better pay and so forth. But he loves that. Um, our, our 20 year old daughter, unfortunately, um, has had a very long bout with health issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just found out in 2020 that she's had Lyme disease since she was 12 and we didn't know it. And so she's had this kind of debilitating experience with Lyme that really has knocked her out, um, Mm. In in a lot of ways. And so the last three years now have been uh, a lot of emphasis on recovery for her. And uh, she actually just had a major jaw surgery three days ago mm. uh, where they, they basically cut her lower jaw in half and then extended it out and molded it back together. Oh, so, wow. so she just had a wow. lot of health issues, which has yeah. kind of, uh, created a, a not normal teen years for her. Yeah. Um, but uh, our, our next son, 18, who's 18, um, is on that cusp of life launch. And he's actually <laughs> been helping us with a house remodel and mm-hmm. uh, been doing a lot of the construction work there. And mm-hmm. um, he's, he's considering his options right now. He's, he's very interested in like wildlife management and mm-hmm. some things like that. So we'll see how the Lord uh, leads and direct it, directs him. Yeah. Um, we're not experts on life launch by any stretch. Uh, <laughs> we have some theories on it. And, yeah. 
in, in 20 years, I think I'll, I'll know a lot about life. Oh my launch. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but you're starting right now. You're starting I just have some thoughts about it. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of where we are because uh, my yeah. daughters are almost 20 and almost 21 and okay. uh, they graduated together in 2020. My older daughter wanted to wait to graduate with her sister. And then Jenny's kids are almost 21 and just turned 19. So we're all kind of in that same, I think, beginning. Yeah, of it, we're right? at the precipice of <laughs> this is what it is. Really? Like, it is I mean, scary. It's exciting, but it's scary. It's mostly yeah. scary. <laughs> and everybody talks about the little ones. We see these moms, you know, we talk to so many parents that come in and they have the little ones Yeah. and I, and they have all these hopes and dreams <laughs> and, and our kids are good kids, but I'm just thinking, Oh, you just yeah. wait, <laughs> you just wait until they're adultish and you can't, and you can't control them anymore. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a new territory for sure. And just, you know, you have to trust them to God and, yes. uh, you know, even just practical things. I, I forget where I was. I was speaking at a conference, uh, just, uh, about a, two weeks ago. And I, I get a call from my 21 year old son and he doesn't call me typically. So it's usually <laughs> something major. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, I was driving, but we're in Michigan just, mm-hmm. you know, so it's winter time as this is being recorded. You probably will hear it later, yeah. but, um, it but might still be snowing me. though in Michigan. By it will it still drops. be snowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no matter where you, no matter when you hear it, it'll still oh, yeah. be snowing in Michigan, but, yep. but no, he was following an ice truck and this big chunk of ice fell off of the ice truck and just hit square in front of his car <gasps> and basically totaled it. Oh. Uh, and, and so he's calling me from the side of the road, like, what do I do? Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, you just have those things where they're not your babies anymore. Yeah. You you just pray a lot. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We thought we prayed a lot when they were little. It's way more now. So you guys know what it is. I was just telling a mom this today is, uh, back in my radical days when I was younger, I went skydiving (laughs) and, and I jumped all by myself with no, you know, person that I was holding on to. But one wow. of the things the jump master tells you is once you get out on the strut and you're holding on to the wing, basically, and it's kind of like the wing. He said, you, you don't stay there long. You have to let go. And if you continue to grip it like that, I'm actually going to have to come out there and, you know, kind of peel your hands down because you can't come back in the plane. It's too dangerous. Wow. And I feel like lately having a 20, almost 21 year old young man and, in, and my girl just turned 19, it's kind of, it's that same thing, you know, it's this thing of letting go. Mm. And, yeah. it, and it really is. I just, I can't think of all the what ifs. So you just have to just, just let go. <laughs> or God said, Jenny, I'm going to peel your hands right off for you. <laughs> yeah. That's what I I've think come one, to. One thing about that is you have to trust your parenting. Yeah. You know, you put 21 years into these youth. And so you have to trust, first of all, God, but also mm-hmm. that the seeds you put in there are there. Mm-hmm. And, and they know all the moral lessons. They know the right from wrong. They know you. They know your yes. values. They know what you believe. You don't even have to tell them in most cases, yeah. this is what I would want you to do. They yeah. know that. They Absolutely. And so just realizing that, that that's there and some of them are going to make mistakes, but you know, that's all part of the journey for some of them. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, it really is trusting God and trusting your parenting and, and uh, they, they may have some bumps in the road, but in general, um, if you put the work in on the front end, it tends mm. to work out. Mm. That is a good word. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on Israel was to talk to the men in our listening audience. Homeschooling has obviously been growing steadily for many years and has exploded in the last two for sure. (laughs) And we have a lot of dads recently 
that we've seen coming into the homeschool loft, but some dads are on board with homeschooling right away. And obviously we have the ones that aren't. But Israel, what do you have to say to dads who have doubts? Well, one of the books that I wrote, The Answers for Homeschooling, Top 25 Questions Critics Ask, Mm -hmm. I really had uh, dads in mind uh, as a major demographic that I wanted to reach with that book Mm. because it's very research-based, it's fact-based, it's got a lot of statistics and studies related to home education. So it's not just my opinion. And there actually have been studies on all these issues, whether it's the academics of homeschooling or the finances or even socialization. There are studies that show that homeschool students are actually better socialized uh, and have better social skills than public and private schooled uh, students. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, information in there. And I have a chapter in that book uh, specifically for dads. What what are dads to do? So one of the things I would encourage um, moms to do is to get a copy of that Answers for Homeschooling book (laughs) and then leave it in the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because then you're not pushing it, right? But he's going to be bored and he'll reach for it. <laughs> so take everything else out. Just leave that, only that book, just right? Just that yeah. book. Yeah, take the magazines out and just leave that one. And uh, and I've I've actually seen a lot of dads that have changed their mind from that. Um, the, the education does God have an opinion book is more theological in mm-hmm. nature. So it's more like, what does God say on this issue? And for some men, that really appeals to them if they happen yeah. to be more theologically minded. Yeah. But I think for a lot of dads, it's the question of, well, how will they do in college and how are they going to yeah, do in the real exactly. world? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be employable? And yeah. I don't want my kid to be, you know, working at McDonald's at the age of 40 right. saying, you want fries <laughs> with that. And yeah. so there's, there's the more of the economic uh, questions that dads have. And so, so that book I think is a, a really good resource there, but increasingly um, I, I find that a lot of men really do want to be involved in the homeschool process. They just don't know how mm-hmm. and they work of course, and they don't really know what their role is. And so um, I, I think one of the things that I've encouraged dads to do is, is of course, you know, if there's a subject that you're strong in, yeah. uh, then try to pick that up and be willing to be a, a teacher or a tutor on those subjects. One of the studies that I talked about in, uh, I think in the answers book was uh, one that I, I saw in a magazine kind of randomly. Mm. And it basically said that they had pulled something like 2000 public school students and ask them what the most important academic subject was. Mm-hmm. And this magazine article said that they found, uh, I don't remember if it was like Scientific American or you know some, some magazine like that. Mm-hmm. They said they found that all 2000 of the students gave the same answer mm. about what the most important subject was. And I thought, now that's not even possible. Yeah, I mean, really? Every student has a different subject mm-hmm. that they right. like, right? Yeah. And so it turned out, though, that the subject that the student said was the most important was whatever subject their dad helped them with in homework. Mm, Wow. So if the dad helped them with history, they said history was the most important. And if the dad helped them with math, they said math is the most important. And the researchers said that because it was so universal that they determined that children have a natural intuition that tells them that dad is busy. And if dad is going to prioritize his time to focus on one subject, then they need to pay attention because this must be really important. That is so interesting. 
So it wow. shows the power, I think, of a father engaging. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, it, it makes it important for us as dads to think about what we're really prioritizing. And so for me as a dad, you know, I always want to uh, try to emphasize the spiritual and moral issues as being predominant. Yeah. Yeah. The academic is very important for Mm -hmm. us, but you know, I want to prepare my child as a whole person for all of life. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I'm emphasizing that. But, you know, I remember having a conversation after I read that article with a guy who was telling me that, you know, all of his uh, children grew up and and all of his grandchildren grew up and they're all great sports fans. Mm -hmm. And because that was what he was into. And He took his kids to the games, made sure they played sports. They watched sports. They had season tickets to the games. He was just saying how it's kind of the family thing that all his family has sort of adapted to. And I thought it really is powerful if Mm -hmm. a dad is passionate about something and takes an interest in it and involves his children then the children do tend to adapt to that, whether it's hunting yeah. or whatever kind of activity, working on cars, yeah. especially, especially with sons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but daughters of course, try as best as they can to engage in their dad's interest yeah. because they yeah. want a relationship with their dad. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think um, being strategic because you only have so much time, but being strategic mm-hmm. and what do I really want to invest in? That's going to make a difference for my children. And then also um, I've used the illustration of, of being like a general contractor in a building project <laughs> that while you may not be the person doing most of the wiring or plumbing or drywall, mm-hmm. you're really responsible for your, your house, you know, you're mm-hmm. responsible yeah. for your children. Right. And so it's, it's not your wife's job to raise the children and, you know, you to just drop in every so often and check on her and see how she's doing. Um, these are your children. Yeah. And your, your wife is, is helping you raise your children, yeah. and, you know, and, and it bothers me when people say, well, my wife homeschools, because mm, yeah. I understand maybe she's doing the majority of the, the teaching hours, yeah. but I, I don't look at it that way. I see it as this is my responsibility mm-hmm. to raise and teach and educate mm-hmm. uh, my children. Yeah. And, and my wife helps me in that task. And yeah, she does most of the hours of the actual instruction. Mm-hmm. But one of my roles is to make sure that she has the right tools, mm-hmm. that she's equipped uh, with whatever she needs to, to do the project. And so like if I'm a, a general contractor in a house and there's a bottleneck, uh, and they're having a hard time getting the project finished. And they and they say, well, we just don't have the right tools to get, do this job. I mean, any man in construction, he's going <laughs> to buy the tools and fix the problem because that's what guys do in the workplace. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they fix bottlenecks. Yeah. <laughs> but I see with, with moms in the homeschool environment that maybe they need a better curriculum or maybe yes. they even need time-saving devices like mm. a dishwasher that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? because they need to free up their time yeah. to focus on teaching the children. Dads need to save up and fork over the money yeah. for those things. Yeah, seriously, right. if that's it's a really good. Cabinet, if it's a dishwasher, anything that saves your wife time, yeah, so that Amen. she can invest in your children, that is money well spent for any so guy. Good. So I think men need to have those conversations with their wives and say, "Where are we stuck? Where are the bottlenecks? What do we yeah. need? Do we need better resources? Do we need better curriculum? Do we need, you know, some online video tutorship to help our student who's struggling in the subject?" and then prioritize the money because we always find the time and money for the things that are most important to us. Guys always find money for the new gun, the new boat, the new golf Mm -hmm. clubs, 
you know, the, the car that they're working on fixing up, whatever yeah. their, their hobby car, they find the money for all that stuff because mm. it's important to them. But then whenever the wife needs something, all of a sudden it's not in the budget. Yeah. And that mm. just burns me. I, I, mm. I shouldn't, you shouldn't ask me this. I'm, I'm going to go on a rant now. Oh, but, do yeah. it. I, I love it. And true. Yeah. But actually, and it's so good for if we can, you know, any of our women listeners to get their husbands to listen to that part, because men like to fix problems, right? So you're, pu- you're putting the nail on the head there. It's like, all right, find the practical problems. Yeah. And do something to fix it, right? Absolutely. You don't have an excuse. <laughs> Absolutely. And so sometimes it may be that you have to get more engaged. And I'll say this too, um, whenever you have a son as a man who is somewhere between 10 to 13, mm-hmm. I've noticed, and I have five sons, I've noticed that there's a tendency in that puberty age when they start to push back on mom pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. And there just seems to be something about a young man who's becoming a man mm-hmm. that he, as he gets to that 12, 13 year old range, he just doesn't want a woman telling him what to do anymore. Yeah. That's and so, so the dads need to, I think, especially with sons that age, find a way to become more engaged and more proactive and actually taking as much responsibility as they can on their own shoulders for raising that, that young man, yeah. because in general, I was raised, you know, in my teen years with a single parent mom and, and thank God for her and her investment. And, you know, she did the best she could and did a great job. So I don't want to be disparaging of that. And in situations where that's the best that you have, then I think there's a special grace for it. Yeah. But, uh, in general, it takes a man to teach a man how to be a man. That and, Amen. And so you, you as a dad have a great, not only opportunity uh, and privilege, but I think a responsibility as they get to those teen years mm-hmm. to, to be a buffer, mm-hmm. especially between those, those young men and, and your wife Yeah. to say, you know, look, um, you know, you're my son and I love you, but this is my wife and you will not disrespect yeah. your mother. My husband has said it. And said it and said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have good we have kids, to. but I'm just saying, yeah, kids go, boys, that's so true. They just. They'll push uh, back. Yeah, they and do. It's, they not, push it's back. not wrong in a sense. It's just right. misplaced. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. They're, they're trying they're to grow up. Battle. Yeah, they're, but they're immature, they're right? Conquering, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just that testosterone. It's God given. <laughs> yes. and, and they're trying to find battles to fight and enemies mm-hmm. to conquer. And they don't really have a lot except their mother and their siblings. And <laughs> so it's, it's, yes. it's, it's good what's in them. It's just misplaced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's so, so interesting. And speaking about the dad thing. It's such a true fact that I always say to so many moms here, like dads just do it well in general, as far as teaching. And they they don't set out to even know they're teaching. They're just living life as it should be. They're such models of it, right? Because moms were all like, well, what curriculum should we use? And we should use this and let's do this. And let me research this. And I'm going to get all these books from the library and we're going to make it a homeschool moment. But dads are like... Yeah. And for instance, my husband was uh, changing the, our pilot light went off in the, in the fireplace. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, then this was the first time. And there he's down there, you know, with the YouTube video <laughs> and he's laying down, he has the lighter on the gas is going and calling the kid, come on kids, come on over. <laughs> and I'm thinking, should we do that? Maybe we should back up and we shouldn't do this, but dads do it well. They just do this whole modeling of learning and involving the kids without even thinking about it. Well, it's such a good thing. Mm. Well, we're a team, right? And there are things like, for example, with my high school students, I've been teaching uh, logic 
mm-hmm. and economics and Christian apologetics. Those are things I'm teaching with my high school students. Mm-hmm. My wife doesn't really want to teach those subjects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are things that I'm strong in. Yeah. And so it works out really well. And, and usually in marriage, not always, but usually in marriage, we marry people who are different from us and for mm-hmm. good reasons. Right. And so oftentimes our spouses are strong in areas that we're weak yeah. and that's great. Utilize yes. that. Right. Be thankful for it. So absolutely. Um, okay. Slightly different topic. Um, kind of keeping in mind your other books, education, does God have an opinion? Um, and I know that you've talked about this a lot on Facebook because I follow your page. Um, the idea that even Christians say that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about homeschooling. And so we can just make whatever choice we want to make. Um, but you've written that book and I've read that book. And so what do you have to say to that whole question of, you know, uh, what does God have to say about homeschooling? Yeah, it really is just that most people have never studied it. They've never really taken time to do a detailed, analysis of what the Bible says on the topic of education. And so they assume that God is silent on the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, My book is about 240 pages of (laughs) what God has to say about education. Uh, There's a lot. And, um, you know, just one verse that comes to mind, I'll just pick one, but one that we don't think about a whole lot uh, as being related to education. And sometimes um, our English translations veil it a little bit for us. And this Mm -hmm. is the case with this verse. But in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, there's a passage that a lot of Christians would be familiar with. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, Mm. but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we we know nurture, that's a word that we're familiar with, and we can kind of relate to and identify with that word. Admonition is an old term, you know, in the King James that uh, we're not as familiar with what that word means. Mm-hmm. But in the Greek, um, those words are, they're more complicated, I guess. Uh, they're fuller. That's a better word for mm-hmm. them. They're much fuller in the Greek. So the word for nurture is actually the Greek word nuthesia. And it's the word from which um, theologians have gotten the concept of nuthetic counseling or biblical mm-hmm. counseling. Mm-hmm. And so you think about everything that a counselor does with a client. The Apostle Paul is saying in that verse, fathers, you're supposed to do that with your children, nuthesia. Mm-hmm. And so you have, what does a counselor do? They have to learn how to listen. Yeah. They have to know how to ask good questions. They have mm-hmm. to empathize. Mm-hmm. They have to weep with those who weep. They have to know how sometimes to be firm, how to correct, mm-hmm. sometimes to gently rebuke. Um, just, you know, it's a very complicated and complex idea, really, that one of the roles for the father is to be this biblical counselor for mm-hmm. his child. But that's mm-hmm. all included in that word nuthesia, which translates in English to nurture, which is close, but you know, not quite as fully orbed. Right. And then the word for admonition is the Greek word paideia. And in my book, I give the definition from Encyclopedia Britannica, which is we would call that a secular source, because Mm -hmm. I don't want people to think that I'm uh, skewing the the definition. Mm -hmm. What Encyclopedia Britannica said was basically, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically every academic subject that could be taught as a separate academic discipline within the Greek world Mm -hmm. was contained in the word paideia. So it included mathematics and science and history and language and, and art and music and 
you know, architecture and every concept that you could teach in academics was contained in the word paideia. Mm. So when when Paul used that word in in the Greek context um, there in in Ephesus, in that letter to Ephesus, they knew what that word meant. I mean, it Mm -hmm. meant school. It meant academy. It meant education. It meant learning. It was it was the uh, as universal a term for education as you could create. Mm. And so Paul says in their fathers, you are responsible for paideia. Mm. Fathers, you are responsible for the paideia of your yeah. children. And then he says, you know, again, not raise them up in the paideia of the world, because there, there was a, uh, a, a Greek educational system. We, we call it the Socratic method, right? Yeah. Where yeah. young men as they approach adulthood would meet with the philosophers and they would learn a lot of pagan ideas and so forth. So there was a paideia that was, that was pagan at the time. But God's people didn't send their children to those schools. Right. Uh, Paul is telling them that they are supposed to raise their children in the paideia, not of the world, but the paideia of the Lord. Mm. And so for someone who's not a believer, of course, it makes sense for them to send their children to the paideia of the world. But for someone who is who believes in, in God, um, they have a responsibility to raise that child in their faith. Yeah. And so there's a, a, a there's a lot packed into just that one verse. Yeah. But I share that one verse just to say, like, there's a verse that a lot of people have read. They've heard they've heard it in sermons. They know mm-hmm. it, but they didn't think it had anything to do with education. But right. it has everything to do with education. It, you just have to know what you're looking for. Yeah. And so the whole book, Education Does God Have an Opinion, is like that. It's just really opening up the scriptures in a profound and new way yeah. to help people see it in a way they've never thought of or considered before. Yeah. I love, love, love that. Yeah. Wow. Is there ever any justification that you can think of for a Christian parent to send their child to a government school? There's just so many places in the scripture, you know, you look at, uh, I think it's Jeremiah 17, nine, where it says, learn not the way of the way of the heathen, mm-hmm. uh, or passages in the new Testament where Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, uh, yeah. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, he, he tells them not to, um, to, co- to co-op or to partner with unbelievers, you know, in the mm-hmm. King James, it says, don't be unequally yoked with, right. but, but in, uh, in most English translations, it's like, don't team up with, or don't right. partner with mm-hmm. unbelievers for what fellowship does light have with darkness. Yeah. And, and there's so many other passages, but, but Christians are never encouraged in the scripture to give their children an anti-Christian education. Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I've, I've put the challenge out to people and said, I, I challenge you <laughs> uh, go through the Bible yeah. and find even one place in the Bible where it tells you as a Christian that you should send your children to receive an anti-Christian education and send me that verse. And <laughs> if you find that verse uh, instructing you as a Christian to send your children into an anti-Christian uh, educational setting, then, uh, hey, I'll publicly denounce my book and take it off the market. <laughs> Um, but nobody's, nobody's done nothing yet. yet. <laughs> no. So still waiting on that. If somebody, if somebody listening to the podcast wants to take me up on it, go ahead. Yeah. 
but but it's interesting that there are just dozens and dozens and dozens of verses that tell us that you know we're supposed to uh, you know put on the mind of Christ and we're supposed yeah. to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and so forth and and not to think like the foolish mm. uh, uh, people of the world do who deny God. Yeah. And so there's a lot of passages in scripture that talk about the importance of, of giving children a, a Christian education and giving them, mm-hmm. raising them in the faith. And there's absolutely zero that tell us that we should send them to pagans mm-hmm. to be educated and uh, a lot of admonition not to do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, I think people will find the book to be a challenge maybe to their preconceived yeah. ideas because most people just believe education is religiously neutral. Yeah. Right. right. God doesn't care. The Bible doesn't talk about it. You just do whatever you want to do. Yeah. But if you think about it from, you know, a, a realistic standpoint, some um, chapter. Um, oh boy. Just skipped my mind. Uh, which chapter that is, but where it talks about um, children are a blessing and mm. um, there's Psalm 128. It's Psalm 128 where it says, children are a blessing, their heritage from the Lord. Mm. Uh, the fruit of the womb is his reward. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. You know, that mm. whole passage. Yeah. But when it talks about how children are a heritage of the Lord and they're his reward, it's implying that these children ultimately belong to God. Mm-hmm. They don't ultimately belong to us. They belong to him. And so we are caretakers and stewards of his children. And so as caretakers and stewards of his children, we really need to find out, well, how does God want us to raise his children? Yeah. And how has he instructed us? And then to follow him in, in that. And an illustration I use sometimes for people is, you know, if you were babysitting someone else's children for even an evening, uh, what do you do? You ask, what foods are your children allowed to eat? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you, what games do you let them play? Um, how do you let them watch television? What time do they need to go to sleep? Right. All those kinds of questions. Why? Because mm-hmm. these children don't belong to you. They belong to these other parents and you are, you're stewarding, you're being caretakers right. of these children. Yeah. And so in that same way, you know, God really is the, the ultimate parent, if you will, for these yeah. children. And, uh, we are the caretakers. So we should go to him and say, mm-hmm. how do you want me to raise these children? Yeah. Do you want me to teach them? Exactly. Um, yeah, so much more with God, you know, because oh, for sure, the, uh, you know, of the wisdom that he's given us. Mm-hmm. What do you say to the salt and light people who say, yeah, because we hear that one all the <laughs> time. Send my kids to the right. schools to be salt and light. Yep. Sure. Well, I have one chapter where I address it one way in the education book, and then I have an entire chapter on it in the answers for homeschooling book, and I address it a completely different way. Uh-huh. So in the answers for homeschooling book, I believe it is actually uh, asked the question that if it's God's plan for our children to be evangelists and missionaries in the pagan schools, mm-hmm. then why didn't Joseph and Mary send Jesus to be an evangelist into yeah. the pagan schools? Because <laughs> you would think that of everybody in the world who would be equipped and capable to be an evangelist in a pagan school, <laughs> it would be Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yet, and jo- yet Joseph and Mary did not do that. And people go, well, how do you know that? And how do you know that Jesus didn't go to school? And in fact, I've heard a lot of pastors say that the Hebrew boys actually did go to school. And so I actually, um, 
include research in that chapter in the Answers for Homeschooling book about the historical context uh, that proves that at the time of Jesus, homeschooling was the dominant model and that boys his age were not being sent to Jewish schools. In fact, mm. there was only a three-year stint uh, beginning in AD 67 with a guy named Gamaliel who started compulsory attendance schools for boys in Israel, mostly uh, in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, that it ran for three years until the city was destroyed by Titus in AD 70. Mm. Uh, there were only three years where boys were actually attending uh, Hebraic schools. The rest wow. of the time it was homeschooling. So that's one one angle is that, you know, if, if it's disobedience for Christians not to do that, then Joseph and Mary were disobedient with Jesus. <laughs> and uh, so that's one angle. But then the other is just that there's absolutely zero research that indicates that it even works. Yeah. Uh, in fact, every study that's come out, whether it's from Lifeway or Barna Group or Pew Research, mm-hmm. shows that we're losing 70 percent of our youth who leave the Christian faith before high school graduation. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's no passages in Scripture that tell us to do that, even though we're told be salt and light. There's none that say send ill-equipped children yeah. <laughs> into a battlefield without having basic boot camp yeah. and, and training. Yeah. No, you know, we don't do that with the military. We don't right. send our children out with, with Nerf guns into yeah. a battlefield, uh, but that's what we're doing on a spiritual level. Yes. When we send them into these schools that are teaching critical race theory, yep. they're yeah. teaching Marxism, that are teaching gender confusion and so on. Mm. It's um, it's a battlefield and parents just have been naive to it way too yeah. long. Do you see any red flags on the horizons? Things homeschoolers should watch for or be mindful of in regards to our homeschool freedom? Well, a lot of times people think about the big power grab, like the federal takeover of education mm-hmm. or things that were suggested, say, at that Harvard summit uh, oh, yeah. where they were presenting the concept of a presumptive ban on home yeah. education. Mm-hmm. We, we think of those things and, and think, oh, that's probably the biggest risks to homeschooling. But I actually think there's one that's way more likely than that. I don't personally think we're at this moment. Uh, at risk of having homeschooling banned on a federal level. I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying ever, but I'm saying, yeah. you know, in the right near now. future, I don't think mm-hmm. that's a big issue. What I think is the biggest threat, the, free, the future and freedom of homeschooling is actually homeschooling families, petitioning, creating legislation and mm. receiving government funds for their homeschool. Yes. Yeah. That is the biggest threat to homeschooling, Mm -hmm. because once the government is paying for your child's education, they control it. They call the shots. They determine what curriculum you can use and what curriculum you can't. The content of the teaching, um, you you have opened your home up to inspections by the school board, uh, standardized testing. There's a whole litany of things that basically arbitrarily they can decide to do mm-hmm. simply because they are paying for it. So mm-hmm, if right. you want to have freedom in education, you have to pay for your own child's education out of your own pocket. And I understand that grates on parents because they say, yeah, but my money's being taken from me by force yeah. through taxation and I'm not getting anything for it. And I ought to at least get something back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the thing that I, I tell people oftentimes is, is like, if you, if you really want to fight that battle, fight the battle on the front end of it, of them not taking your money. Yes. You know, like 
defeat school millage bills and things like that. Yeah. Uh, do, do anything you can on the front end to keep them from taking your money, but to, to have them give some of your money back to you with strings attached is not a good option for homeschoolers. And yet with this COVID influx of new homeschoolers, yeah. all of a sudden it's, it's a whole different, um, a whole different situation. And I just think, uh, yeah. Parents need to be aware that, again, is if you want to be able to control the content uh, of the education, then you actually have to be willing to uh, pay for it yourself. And I don't know why, you know, so many homeschoolers are um, not willing to do that, but that's the way we did it in the old days. And, <laughs> uh, and you'll notice in countries where they've taken vouchers, mm-hmm. where they've taken subsidies, uh, like Alberta, Canada, yeah, mm-hmm. they've started to tell them, "Hey, you have to teach this LGBTQ affirming curriculum, yeah, because yeah. you're getting government funding." I just want to throw this in: is Psalm 127 was actually the one I was looking for. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I just, okay. Uh, fact-checked myself on that. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I just want to save everybody, you know, writing in with hate mail. Yeah. <laughs> he was it? by a psalm, right? He must be a homeschooler. Yeah, you know, right. you know so, that whole. Thank you for talking about that voucher thing, because I mean, as you know, it's a hot topic in some states currently. Um, and it's, I think if it passes, like I know, uh, uh, we're going to talk to Tiffany Boyd from Tennessee that that is huge. They're, they're, they're doing it in Oklahoma of all places. And if it passes in some of these places, it'll pass in other places. And, um, the scary thing is it's usually conservative politicians who homeschoolers consider to be our friends, but they're the ones pushing these vouchers and school choice things. So fire. It's yeah. fire because yeah, they're our friends and they right. want to help. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm on the board of the Michigan state homeschool association mm-hmm. and every year we have to tell our Republican friends in the legislature, we don't want money. And they're like, yeah, yeah but we can help you. We're like, listen, here's how you can help us. Leave us alone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Like we appreciate what you want to do, but uh-huh. we're not interested. We don't yeah. want your money. <laughs> yeah. They don't understand that. But part of being a politician is you have to give away everybody else's money. So yeah. <laughs> they don't know what to do with it. And uh, they're surprised we don't want it. But yeah, right? it's it's but and I, it's coming in so many different varieties, yeah. whether it's through the older model of the online charter schools yeah. or whether whether it is um, through these hybrid situations. We have one in Michigan that's called a, a homeschool public school partnership. Mm, wow. Uh, very, com- very complex, but basically mm. you're still a private homeschooler. It's not public school at home. You're mm-hmm. a private homeschooler and you still at this point uh, get to make your own curriculum choices and stuff, but the public schools will pay for your co-op classes. Mm. And, and they said, no strings attached. You can even <laughs> teach the class yourself. You can use whatever curriculum you want to use. You can, your homeschool moms can teach it. All you got to do is sign a waiver mm. that says you understand that this co-op class is being paid for by your local public school. Uh, well, what they do is the local public school may sign your student up for an art class, let's say, or it's, it's gotta be non-core, um, like what do you call it? Uh, the extra classes, the, the electives, electives. Yeah. it be an elective, right? Uh-huh. But it can be swimming or horseback riding or basket weaving or anything <laughs> like that. But let's say that you take art and basket weaving, they send in a bill to Lansing to the state capital uh, for the state budget and say, this child is a part-time public school student and they bill the state for 85% of mm. the entire cost of the student for the year, which in Michigan, it's 
an approximate $10,000 a year that the public schools get per student. So your local public school will get $8,500 per child. If your kid is just taking an art class or music lessons or basket weaving. Wow. And and so, but that, but they're saying like, we don't care, you know, we'll teach it at the public school or you can teach it at your church. Uh, You can Uh. teach it as a parent. Like they're, they're doing it now with private schools. And uh, our state constitution actually forbids it. It says no mm. public funds can be used yeah. for private education, yeah. but nobody wants to enforce it because <laughs> the Democrats want it yeah. um, because, uh, you know, the, the public schools are getting all this money from the mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. The Republicans want it because they don't want to make the homeschoolers mad mm-hmm. the want it because they're getting the classes for quote unquote free. Yeah. Uh, the only people that it's bad for are taxpayers. Cause it's like an extra $50 million of, of nothing money that's getting shoved wow. through the budget and it's messing up the the budget and, and causing everybody's taxes to go up. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, but it's just interesting how different States have variations of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that just happened in Michigan was a uh, co-op in a church was meeting. They'd been doing this for a long time. Somebody showed up and they had a, a prayer before they started the class. And this mm-hmm. official from the public school said, we're sorry, but you can't pray. Mm. Because this is happening during time that is paid for by the public school. Wow. Yep. And so it, it's yeah. a Trojan horse, slippery slope yeah. kind of thing, isn't it? It really, it, really is. And I think the hardest part of all of this is, and especially now with all these new families coming to homeschooling who have no ideas about what their state law is, And a lot of new moms and dads, it's the last thing. I mean, I would say even in the beginning, you know, we've homeschooled our kids all the way through, but I wasn't knowledgeable about all of, you know, just the base. I I knew the basics, but but now there's so many loopholes and there's all this and people don't research. They don't do the research. They just take everybody else's word for it, follow what their friends do. And it's just a continuous cycle of, you know, well, people. I had a lady at a conference, homeschool conference where I spoke and she was getting $3,000 in cash per children, per child, plus mm-hmm. a free computer, plus free curriculum. And yeah. she, she told me after hearing me speak at a conference, she said that was a, a nice little motivational speech she gave there, Mr. Wayne. But she said, I have five children and I make $15,000 a year from the state to stay home and teach my children, oh my plus gosh. five computers, five sets of free curriculum. And she's like, I'm not going to give up that kind of money because that's a stay at home wage for me. Oh, yeah. So she's like, gosh. you know, you might. You might be technically right. I don't care. Yep. Well, there it is. Right. And there it is. Truly. And I'm like, yeah, but your curriculum is common core. Right. It is. It is anti-Christian. You're going to have to teach all the the CRT stuff, all the Marxism stuff, all the revisionist history stuff. She's like, yeah, but I can, you know, tell my kids, well, I don't believe that evolution stuff, whatever. I can tell my kids I don't believe that. Yep. You know, well, exactly. You know, I did the best I could, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to keep beating that drum, though, because we need more and more. And Jenny and I do it, and we know that others do it too. Um, I think the newer homeschoolers, first of all, they need to know the history of what people like your family, like what you guys went through, because even Jenny and I starting in the early two thousands, we learned the history of all that you all faced with the court cases and everything, but the current new homeschoolers don't know any of that. So they need to know that to know how hard fought the freedoms were. Um, And then they just need to be, we need to keep telling them how dangerous it is to, to take those perks. (laughs) 
Yeah. One resource yeah. that I'd like to offer for the listeners, yeah. I have an audio presentation on our website that's called A History of the Homeschooling Movement. Mm. Um, and if they go to familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org, and go to our store, which is forward slash store. Mm-hmm. So familyrenewal.org forward slash store. Just type in A History of the Homeschooling Movement. Um, it's an audio download, an MP3, and it's free. So I will mm-hmm. give that away to the listeners so that uh-huh. they can uh, hear that because I think they need yeah. to know what homeschooling was like and what it took yes. um, to gain the freedoms that we yes. have and to realize that they can be taken away. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, does anybody have any parting thoughts? Well, I would just like to encourage parents as they think about this process that they may feel that it's difficult. They may feel overwhelmed. They may feel like on some days it would just be easier to put the children on the bus and not have to deal with them. But (laughs) there's a couple of things that are really paramount. We have to keep in mind, keep the big picture in mind. And that is um, that we, first of all, want to have a relationship with our children. And in order to do that, we need to spend significant time with them. Mm -hmm. And so while it's not always simple or easy being with our children is really the best way to build mm-hmm. relationship with mm-hmm. them. And then secondly, if you really want to pay it, pass on your faith and values to your children, mm-hmm. you actually have to pass on your faith and values <laughs> to your children That's because right. somebody else can't do it for you. Mm-hmm. And so, so even the best school out there is not a replacement for you. That's right. And I, I've never heard a parent late in life who says, man, I just spent too much time with my children. Mm. I wish I just, you know, had more me time. Mm. Nobody ever says that, but I hear a lot of people say the opposite, man. I just wish I hadn't worked so much. I wish I hadn't been so distracted with things that weren't that important. So I would just encourage parents that it's a season, it's a long season, mm-hmm. but it's a season. And uh, for those veteran parents who you, know, you hear it from them all the time, they'll say, enjoy them while you have them because it all passes so fast. Yes. And you're thinking, yeah, well, that'd be nice about now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. Yeah. sometimes it feels like a long season, yeah. but, but it really does. It goes by very quickly mm, in, in the scheme of things. And um, we, we get one shot at this. And so... Mm. We, we don't want to do it half-hearted. We want to give it our best effort. Israel, that was so, such a wonderful word that you've given us. And thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, I hope that you are encouraged. And I hope that you believe the truth, that you stand on the truth, that God has appointed you. And so that you are equipped. Don't look left and don't look right. Stand firm on who you are in him.